Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 50 of It's Not the Worst Movie Ever podcast, our season 2 finale. We're bringing you this episode on July 12th, 2021. I am your host, Leah Paddock, and my co-host, Stella Nama. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, spoiler alert, sorry, as uh, always, uh, now let's uh, let's just talk about this film. Uh, so for our season two finale, I've chosen uh, a film that uh, is possibly the most acclaimed movie we have ever watched, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. critically, uh, historically, uh, culturally. <laughs> th- yeah, this is a, a, a monumental film, uh, you would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the film that is considered or was considered the greatest movie of all time. It's actually been dethroned yes. by a couple of different movies. Um, but we're uh, we're going to talk about it anyways. It's Citizen Kane uh, Bam. from 1941, 80 years ago. It, this is our oldest movie, right? This is the oldest film we've watched. I win. <laughs> I win that contest. For now. And then I had the second oldest movie as well with Singing in the Rain from 1952. Go watch that episode if you haven't, or listen to that episode if you haven't already. And then uh, you have the uh, the third oldest with, uh, what was that movie called? With Debbie Reynolds. It also had Debbie Reynolds Debbie in Reynolds. it. Man, I am terrible you with can't names. Even even with, I'm always terrible with names. You know that. Oh, the uh, mating game. The mating the game. The mating Damn. game. Yes. From nineteen fifty nine. Damn. Fifty episodes, people. There's a lot of episodes to remember. <laughs> so yeah. Uh I win that little contest. For now. For now, everybody. <laughs> For now. No, I'll ultimately win. Uh <laughs> yeah. This is uh so many people, so many uh everybody has an opinion on this movie. Uh it's one of those movies that I feel like you have to watch. If you're somebody who claims to be any kind of a fan of movies. And um, now I have, and now I can actually talk about it. You can talk about it. You can at least have an opinion on it. And uh, we'll uh, we'll get into that. We'll get that. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's kind of let's get into the meat of this film, uh, the story, and what this film is actually about. Because that that, I feel like that kind of gets overshadowed by all of the... The praise and, and the, uh, act, yeah. the criticisms and every you know, everything. Everyone kind of forgets this. It's an actual yeah. movie with a story. <laughs> a he film. wasn't like going out to make it like that. He wasn't. Uh, he was uh, this film, the making of this film, is well, we're going to get into that a little bit. I think it's almost just as interesting, if not even more interesting, than the movie itself, which I, I guess is maybe one of the reasons why. The movie kind of gets overshadowed. Yeah, and hasn't the movie been like? Uh, didn't you say like three movies have been made about the making of the movie? Oh yes. Uh, I'll uh, yeah. We'll we'll get into uh, all that in just a moment. Let's 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 talk about Citizen Kane. So, the story of this film uh, is about a newspaper magnate named Charles Foster Kane, who uh, in the beginning of the film uh, is on his deathbed. And uh, he utters one single word before he finally dies, uh, and that word is rosebud. Rosebud. Yes, a very you know, famous scene. Uh, he drops a snow globe and it you know, breaks on the floor. One of my 
finally know what it means. <laughs> we'll get into that. Uh, and then uh, we get a uh, we get a newsreel because that's that was a thing back in the forties. Mm-hmm. Um, no television, yeah, uh, so we get we basically get a summation of his entire life, who he was and where he was born. That his uh, he was born into a poor family, mm-hmm. uh, who moved into this uh, boarding house, which was thought to be just like uh, worthless. Just it was. Oh, it, it was supposed to be on like a basically like a worthless piece of land, mm-hmm. but ultimately, or somebody found uh, gold yeah. on the land, and became and one of the largest <laughs> gold mines in the world. And uh, it was signed in his uh, mother's name, and so uh, the mother makes a, a deal with uh, this other uh, millionaire, I guess, it's, uh, sort of a big. Like an investor type. Yeah, he's like somebody. He doesn't really own businesses. He just invests he, and buys things. Yeah, he definitely. Somebody works on Wall Street. Yeah. Um, and he uh, makes a deal with her to basically like adopt Charles. Yeah, take him under like as a mentor. But yeah, like, to basically have him be his heir. I think. Mentee. Yes, uh, something like that. It's it is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's like why why do you want this child? And he also, but it's like. To manage the goal, because it's like the mother knew. I think the mother saw, almost sought him out mm-hmm. because she knew they were never going to be able to manage this gold mine. Mm-hmm. They were going to get taken advantage of. Yeah, they were especially run with into the, the dad ground somehow. Yeah, the dad, dad is a piece of shit. The mom was going to get like overserved by the piece of shit dad because mm-hmm. uh, of society shitty law. No, she was the smart the, the one. one. Yeah, and so I think she sought out like, hey, we have this huge gold mine, and he probably got like something from it. Yeah, I mean, you can't just because he would just keep bitching. But then because sue. they didn't get all the they didn't get the they got like a year, a monthly uh, allowance, basically. Yeah. Like a thousand dollars each a month. Right. I mean, it was, so it they was were on set. their land. Yeah. yeah. And this is like 18 fucking something. So a thousand dollars a month. 1871. This yeah. movie uh, spans from 1871 to 1941. A thousand dollars would have been like, oh, my God, money, especially where they live. <laughs> yes. The dad would have been a dead within three months from alcohol poisoning. Oh, yeah, I bet he did die as soon as they, after his first check, maybe, because he seemed like he was an abusive, he was abusive towards Charles. And probably the uh, wife. And probably the wife. And he, and she even has a line when uh, he, uh, when Charles is, uh, has to go off with uh, Mr. Thatcher, um, when the, the, when he's, like, trying to get away from him, the dad, like, starts hitting him. And uh, he runs right into his mother's arms and, like, he's like, why does he always go up to you? Or why does he have to go up? He's like, he's, I'm trying to get him away from you, basically. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I'm trying to get him somewhere where you can't get at him. Yeah, so he can actually grow up normal yes. without being abused. Exactly. He has to actually have a good life. But then it, like, it ultimately it messes with fucked him, him up. Because, yeah, he loved... He loved his mother. He loved his mother, and he was willing to and deal he, with his dad over it. Yeah, and he loved uh, a certain other thing uh, that was a big part of his childhood. It makes you think like he probably would have been a normal dude. He probably would have had a kind of sh- would have been, been a more a modest dad. Yeah, he would have been a more modest, probably humble man. And maybe he would have like managed the mind better or some shit. Which he tried to be. He kind of he tried to be a humble man. He wanted to be a man of the people. Uh, because we, as the film goes on, we see him grow up. We see that he he hates his uh, guardian. Yeah, Mr. so Thatcher. he rebels against it. So he uses the money just to buy 
uh, a newspaper outlet. A failing newspaper. The uh, what I think is called the New York Inquirer in the film, mm-hmm. uh, and he uses it basically to just trash uh, Mr. Thatcher and all of like his business. The corruptors. Yeah, he was. Uh, he starts like basically like yellow journalism. Mm-hmm. In this alternate universe, in yeah. This, yeah, in this alternate history. Um, and he eventually becomes the most powerful like media mogul in the world. Like, because he has a gold mine backing him up, so he can do whatever he wants, so he buys newspapers yeah, that talk shit about he, him. Because at first, like his business, is it's failing. The paper's failing. He's losing a million dollars a year. Yeah. And he says, like, all right, I lost a million dollars this year. I'm going to m- lose a million dollars next year. And then I'm going to lose a million dollars next year after that. He's like, he's okay with it. Yeah, he's like, I'll have, a, I can go for sixty-four years because he just wants to prove a point. That's yeah. his entire life is just trying to prove something. But then that guy makes a uh, good line or like a point too, like, well, as you work to expose the these corrupt evil people, you're going to be corrupted by those evil people because you're going to have to surround yourself with those. And then he does mm-hmm. to gain exactly. more power. Just shut down his people who critics of him. Yes. Because he's a vengeful dude, really. A really prideful dude. Yeah. He turns, e- like, not evil, but just, he, he turns into he has the a thing fall, he hates. He has a fall from grace. Yeah, he turns into the thing he hates. Exactly. And that's a good scene cut when he's saying, like, I can just lose a million dollars for 64 years. And then it just cuts right to the Great Depression. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, yeah. I lost it all. <laughs> yeah, this movie, like, it encompasses a lot of, like, history. Like, oh, I film. didn't last 64 years. I lasted, like, 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's there's a lot of really great moments like that. And, um, yeah, this movie is ultimately just about his, uh, his fall from grace. And it's just the story of his life. There really isn't, like, a, like a plot. But there's not really, like, a film. rise either. Like, yeah, he... He's just what? really rich, so he buys a lot of shit that keep him I rich, and then he just lo- it's all pa- it's like a paper empire. I think it's Oof. the moral rise and fall because he starts off like he wants to be an honest man. He wants to go after corruption. And yeah, but they showed him even during that era, like hosting parties for people and lying about. He's saying that he's willing to lie about uh, the Spanish Spanish American War. Yeah, to get it, just, to get us involved. Yeah, he wants us to get involved in the war, which was a real thing that happened yeah. with the the real newspaper magnate that this movie's based on, <laughs> who we'll talk about uh, in a in a moment. So like <laughs> it's like does is he ever really morally right? He could have been. I think the whole movie is just like like what what could have been? What if? That was his whole life is just like, oh, if I wasn't he even has a line like if I wasn't born rich, I would have been a good. I think I would have been a good man. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of the most uh, powerful lines of the film. I think. I do too. I agree. Um, and that's just ultimately the story. And his other, the other story is, or the other part of what's uh, kind of makes him weak is that he doesn't. He's pathologically just like lonely. Yeah, because he he wants love so bad because he never really got any. He was, Except you know, from his mother, and he got that barely anymore. Once he was like eight, yeah, because he barely, yeah, he wasn't able to see her every all the time. And then she probably died because it's fucking the eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the nineteen hundreds in the twentieth century. Like it's fucking just people die young back then. They don't live to like mm-hmm. a thousand, like eighty. Yeah, it was pretty rare. Um, I just lost <laughs> my point right there. You keep going. 
Um, yeah, he was. You know, his other story is that he's just uh, oh. perpetually lonely, and yeah, so right. we uh, we see that uh, he marries one woman who's a good woman who is the niece of the I guess the president. Who would be the president at this time? What t- what time was it then? Was it still like what? I think this might have been the nineteen tens. It would have been the guy right before World War Wilson. William Howard Taft? Or was it Teddy Roosevelt? That might be it. I don't know, man. I don't no, know I think no. Roosevelt was before Taft. I don't Taft was... Sorry, everybody. This isn't a history podcast. <laughs> I don't well, know my presidents that well. I just watched a yeah, documentary recently. It's called The Ultimate Guide to the Presidents. And then you don't know. Well, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I think Taft was the president at this time. It's around that time, so it has to be. Mm-hmm. It is kind of weird to think that, like, he was being this young, cool guy of, like, the 1910s. <laughs> what are yeah, like? in his slick white suit. And we just think back, like, what lame-ass time that was about. <laughs> but yeah. there was people going living back then going, like, If you were rich, life. it was nice. Yeah, but being rich in any era is nice. Do you think fucking the Kardashians are living the same life we live? No. <laughs> that ultra level and of wealth. especially Jeff Bezos, who just went up to s- no Richard Branson went up to space today. Yeah, like there's there's a level where you're just like you just say things and it just happens. You don't quite you know. And that's yeah, that's the level of uh, <laughs> that's what Kane ba- uh, was. Yeah, yeah. In his time in his time, yeah. But it was during an era when there was like no like tr- antitrust laws. He became power, so he was this right. huge monopoly. So it's an even different kind of level. I mean, it's it's straight up just the Jeff Bezos level. Did now. they acknowledge uh, and Zuckerberg and shit? Did they acknowledge Rose? No, because Roosevelt didn't become pre- he wasn't. No, they didn't president. mention any of the presidents really. Well, Woodrow Wilson was sort of a trust buster. No, Roosevelt was. Um, I guess would. Yeah, Woodrow Wilson was. Yeah, you're right. What am I talking about? Yeah. Um. This is also horrible racist, but <laughs> very invited the Klan. Well, I didn't invite the Klan, but he allowed the Klan to march the, to yeah. in. Yeah, he allowed them to have their million, their million man march in the Disgusting. early 1920s. And they, uh, he pushed the Southern like uh, the Lost Cause, the Lost Cause doctrine. Uh, and he in, uh, and he uh, he showed uh, the most racist movie in American history uh, at the White House: The Birth of a Nation. <sighs> Which uh, made the clan look like heroes. Growing up, I li- like when I was a little kid, I thought Woodrow Wilson, Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson was a good president. And then you learn about him, and he's the one of the worst presidents we probably ever had. Oh he yeah, he locked people up for protesting against war. He was Sedition extremely acts. racist, like we just said. A Southern sympathizer. Fucking. He was born in New Jersey. The only hilarious. good thing he did was he did like he broke up the trust. No, he wasn't. He did the he did a bunch of antitrust laws, which like and anti monopoly laws, which have benefited us in the future. But still, I mean, with the good comes with the bad. <laughs> yeah, and I think he was one of the pres- he was the president that signed the ban of alcohol. No, no was that was one. Warren G. Harding, okay, who yeah, was also a terrible president, but yeah. not because he was held any. He had no beliefs. He was just a crony. <laughs> just a puppet. He was a puppet, yeah, for his for cronies that just o- occupied Congress. Damn, Lee watched this documentary, so I know everything. All right, everybody, we're going to get back to this movie. <laughs> yeah, now. there's your history lesson, everybody. <laughs> yeah, there's your weekly history lesson. <laughs> now back to your regular programming. All right, so yeah, Kane, we were talking about Kane's loneliness. Loneliness, yeah, and like... It, it, 
that is that is a sad aspect of this movie. That he yeah. it fails every time, and it fails because that's a, that's a very powerful scene where uh, his the uh, the news the reporter talks to his uh, estranged best friend as an old man, mm-hmm. um, and he basically tells them tells him like oh well you know they were uh, pretty happy together in the beginning and uh, everything kind of just fell apart and you see that in a really just uh, one of the probably one of the best montages in cinema uh, where it starts off you know he's kissing her they're sitting really close to each other he's like I'm gonna put off my appointments and we're gonna have an afternoon together and she's so uh, happy yeah, yeah they're both happy they have a child um and then things kind of, he gets a little bit more consumed by work. He starts printing things that are uh, upsetting her and upsetting her uncle, who's the president. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's just like, oh, well, you know, that's just who I am. I'm a reporter. <laughs> and then he, uh, he starts getting a little bit more, Ag- not aggressive, but like a little bit more cold. Yeah, and dismissive of her. Yeah, like she's like, well, th- I don't want this thing in the nursery. Why does Mr. Bernstein always have to come by? And he's like, well, he's apt to visit the nursery often. He's like, well, I simply will not allow it anymore. Or, well, does he have to come by? And he's just like, yes. <laughs> and then after that, uh, she's just like, well, what uh, what's everybody going to think of you? What I tell them to think. Yeah, and because then, he's getting richer and richer and more monopoly. And as you, as the montage goes on, the table gets longer and longer and the distance between them yeah. grows. And then at the end they're just not speaking speaking or looking at each other. Yeah, the love is completely dead. He killed mm-hmm. it. Yep. As he does with uh everything because everything. they start displeasing him a little bit. And he just, just can't handle it. He can't handle people aren't perfect, mm-hmm. like he thinks he is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then he uh, he meets a uh, a young uh, would be singer. Uh, when he's just standing on a street corner, I don't even know what he's doing. <laughs> he's like trying to hail a cr- cab or something. I think. He, yeah. And he gets uh, splashed with, uh, mud. with mud, and she starts laughing at him. She has a toothache, uh, and then they go up to. Uh, her apartment and they start getting like really flirty with each other mm-hmm. and then that starts uh an affair with her yeah while and he's running for as he's running for governor yeah as the liberal candidate the fighting liberal uh his best friend calls him yeah and that's uh, when his best friends all they're really all for close. him yeah yeah because he's like he, all right we're gonna do it that declaration of principles that you wrote is actually gonna mean something yeah uh and then, after all this, because he, he's you know he's poll he says he's polling really well, like he, he actually has a chance. He's on he's, track of the win. Railing against the corrupt governor who's already in power. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, I'm gonna throw him in jail as soon as I take office. <laughs> uh, and then that makes the governor go, okay, well, I'm gonna dig up some, some dirt, dirt on you. But it's funny that the governor does it himself. <laughs> he doesn't have a crony or anything. He just yeah, he just goes to the girl's apartment. He uh tells uh Kane's wife personally or calls Kane's wife personally. Mm-hmm. And to they all meet up in uh his Confront uh, Kane, basically. Yeah, they all meet up in this girl's apartment and uh yeah. He basically is given the choice, like 
you could give up your governorship and this won't get out. And uh, his wife, really, his first wife, his actual wife, uh, likes that decision or likes because that option. Because it doesn't option. ruin their, like, name. It doesn't create a scandal. Yeah. Uh, and then the second option is to just go forward and then I tell every paper. That isn't uh, tied to you. That's tied to you or isn't tied to you. Uh, and they'll produce the story, and then that's, you know, that's that. Because scandals like that, ooh. It would spread like a wildfire, yeah, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Even now. Very true. Depending. Very, very true. Um, so, yeah, it ruins his uh, political career. Yeah, because he chooses the the option to go forward. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he loses his wife. He loses his first wife. She decides to just leave him. And, and then he dies shortly after, right? She dies in a car accident with the, the son. son. I think that was like an easy way for them to be like, we don't want a kid like in the movie. <laughs> so Lee's like, good on him. <laughs> no. <laughs> no children. <laughs> Kill him in car accident. You barely accident. see his son in this movie. Yeah, it's your favorite kind of kid actor. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, after that, uh, he kind of just gets obsessed with his second wife. Mm-hmm. He marries this uh, the girl he has an affair. Yeah, because now he's like old, old. So he's like, this is my last chance, really. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, ri- yeah, like you said, obsessed with making this one work. And then he like, yeah, like she wants By making to be, her famous. She wants to be a singer, and then so that makes him build this giant opera house. Yeah, also I think it's her. a way for him to like try to make her on his level so people don't talk shit about him and her. Right, yeah, cuz there's definitely a classist thing. So it's there. like, oh well, who okay, I, yeah, she was just kind of like this girl lived in this kind of just shitty apartment who liked singing and was like pursuing it, it but wasn't pursuing opera singing. No, and uh she was pur- she was pursuing like saloon singing. It like it creates this uh well she just yeah, she gets pressured into this, and she's she's just not good at it, and uh, she just creates this situation where everybody's just criticizing her. She's except for his newspapers keep raving about her, but she so it's it's except, wearing on her that because she, she knows those are shitty, those mm-hmm. are lies, and she also knows the and but she knows the and and then like the valid criticism is like that's valid, but it's still weighing on her. Yeah, and this is also where he alienates his best friend, who actually decides to move to the Chicago wing of his paper. Yeah. And then it's like they were in, like they're in suspense. Like, uh, well, when are we going to get the Chicago review? Because they know it's going to be, it's probably going to be negative because they know, because at that point, Kane and his friend, whose name is Jebediah Leland, uh, haven't spoken for a year. Yeah. Uh, Because they're both, yeah, they're at this point, they're already estranged. And so, uh, Kane finds Leland in the in the office uh asleep from drinking too much <laughs> uh asleep uh, on his typewriter he sees the the review that he was uh typing in the up writing, yeah. and uh Kane decides to finish the yeah because they read it and it's 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 not good it's not no. going down a good road and so Kane just finishes it and he fires Leland. Um, and then publishes it, which really pisses off his wife. Oh, yeah. And but he like, doesn't tell her that he did it. Of course not. So he never owns up to his own things. Nope. <laughs> and then after that, uh, she tries to kill herself. 
<laughs> because he overworks her. He overworks her, and she just can't take the stress of it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of live this kind of... But it's even sad in that scene, because she tries to kill herself, and then she's like, I don't want to do it anymore. And he, even for a second more, he's still like, come on. <laughs> and she's like, I will kill myself. But I again. think it's and also... And he's the, like, okay. But I think it's also because I put so much money into that opera house. <laughs> into your whole career. And it's, but it's like, I didn't ask you to. And it's like she just mentioned, like, wouldn't it be funny if I, you just built me an opera house? And he's like, okay. <laughs> he's the ultimate simp, but, like, he was a terrible, abusive simp. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he also built a giant mansion for himself. Yeah, like a fucking estate castle. Yeah. A called Xanadu. Yeah, Xanadu. Stupid-ass name. Uh, for an old white man known. And so, yeah. By the end, he alienates her. And... He's just a... Uh, because he runs out of money. They don't even finish the property. It's this huge, humongous place. But once again, he doesn't have the money to fully staff it, so it's empty as fuck. Mm-hmm. And it's just ridiculously huge. They're standing in the fireplace. Yeah, that... Oh, wow. That fireplace yeah. drives me insane it's how insanity. he was insanity. Like, who has a... Like, does anybody have a fireplace like that I get it. Now? Maybe, like, they don't have heaters in the homes back then, or it would be too expensive to heat that whole it's, place. I don't... I don't know. I <laughs> just... <laughs> wow. Uh, but, yeah. Basically, it ends... He's also a hoarder. He is, yeah. He just buys shit and, so no one else can have it. And, yeah, by the end, after he's gone... Um, uh, they Dead. decide to like have like an auction of all this stuff, and then they the just v- burn all the stuff that's like not valuable. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when they uh, when they start throwing stuff in the fire at the very end, they throw a sled into the fireplace or the into the furnace. Sled he was playing with in the beginning. And what does this uh, sled say on it? Well, it says rosebud on it. And what was he holding in the beginning of the movie? A snow globe. His last happy memory. Mm-hmm. And that's what... And it's sad because nobody ever finds out, like, what... Because the whole... We forgot... I guess I forgot to mention that the... After you get the newsreel thing, uh, you get this uh, scene of all these reporters uh, talking about, like, well, well, there, there's a part of the story we don't know. There's, there's dying words. What does Rosebud mean? And so we follow a reporter... And he goes around basically learning the story of Citizen Kane, or mm. Mr. Kane. Um, we never see this reporter's face either. Not clearly. Yeah, it's always like, he's always like shrouded in like shadow. It's either his side profile in shadow, or the back, yeah. or from far away. Yeah. You never really get a good look at his face, which is an interesting choice. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he doesn't learn like what it actually means. He never gets to see the the sled, so it's kind of a downer ending. Yeah, for them, but we know. But as the, the audience, audience knows, knows, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a downer ending for us because that I mean it just means that yeah, he, his life, uh, everyone thinks he's this horrible old man, and he died. They're gonna realize he died way more broke than he th- they thought he was. <laughs> yeah, led on to believe, and Xandalu right. would just rot. Xanadu. Xanadu would just rot. Just some yeah. like oil tycoon comes and buys it. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the, the story of, of Citizen Kane. All right. We'll see you next month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Let's uh, let's kind of go a little cast. bit into the cast. We'll start with uh, the star, the uh, 
director of this film and co-writer, uh, Mr. Orson Welles, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who was only 25 years old when he made this film. Which I will say makes it my him my favorite part of the movie. Yes. Because his acting is insane. He's my favorite. Yeah, he's definitely my favorite the part, thi- No, he's 25 and he's acting favorite like that actor. old man. Like, that's crazy. He's very convi- yeah, he's very convincing as a uh, young man, older man. He's yeah, got a lot. Age man, it's crazy. He's got a lot of range in this film. Uh, and how he came to directing this film is, uh, is a pretty interesting story. Uh, Orson Welles was not a filmmaker uh, up to this point. He started off in theater. Um, he actually, very early on as a younger man... Uh, was an amateur magician, uh, which is crazy. It's pretty, yeah. He, uh, but that's such a fucking like early. That's such a late nineteenth, early twentieth century thing to be. Exactly. I'm pretty sure. Or he, the nineties. He might have been like on vaudeville or something. I don't know. Uh, but then he uh, he formed his own theater company called the Mercury Theater, uh, where he was uh he was a playwright. Um, and he also adapted other plays. He put on a uh, a uh, all-black version of Macbeth, which was uh, kind of a big deal for the time. Oh, yeah, probably huge. Because uh, there, were, there were no... They didn't even allow, like, uh, black people to be leads in movies yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was actually... Yeah, he was very uh, progressive for his time. Um, and he also, with this theater company, uh, had a went into radio, which basically was the television of yeah. the time. Radio shows. And so they, they put on these uh these radio dramas, mostly adaptations of uh like classic literature. And their most infamous recording was the nineteen thirty eight uh radio adaptation of War of the Worlds, which uh was hugely controversial at the time because everybody well, not everybody, but a lot of people actually thought that there was a real because alien they, they invasion. They were doing it yeah. because they didn't say in the beginning that this is fake. They didn't put any. Yeah, they, didn't they put just any, started doing it. Yeah. Well, m- no, because there was. I I've listened to it. There is like a little introduction of. All right, and now the Mercury Theater's uh, production of All the Worlds. Yeah, but imagine how many people but are just coming, tuning in part yes, way through. Yes, exactly. You have to take that into account as well. And all of a sudden, oh. you just tune in, and there's some guy. Oh shit! They just blew up the fucking tanks. Oh god! Oh my god! It's <laughs> a horrible sight. There's bodies everywhere. <laughs> the military is being decimated. Yeah. So <laughs> it it drove people crazy, and fucking <laughs> Orson Welles had to issue. <laughs> A public apology, and there's actually footage of it, where he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm sorry that everybody uh, didn't take this as the holiday jest that it was meant to be, because it was released on Halloween. It was uh, supposed to be like a, yeah, like a little, yeah, like spooky. a spooky. Exactly, but people back then, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't even know what the equivalent would be nowadays. I don't. Yeah, how you could even trick That'd us all? Be some sort of like deep fake. CGI, yeah, with, like something, and then like just hacks all our like devices. You had to put a lot of system. money into it. Yeah, it'd be like, all right, now it's just a terrorism attack. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! But yeah, hacked all our phones. <laughs> uh, after that, uh, Hollywood came a knocking, 
Because they're like, whoa, if he could drive people this crazy doing this radio show, what could he do with a film? And Hollywood is young back then. Yes, very young. Yeah. And they were still struggling to get people in the theaters. You know, sound films were only uh, like a decade old. The talkies. The talkies, yes. Uh, so they basically gave him this insane contract that no studio or producer would give any director, uh, uh, even then and especially after that. <laughs> um, they basically let him do whatever he wanted. No studio interference. That was in the contract. He could do whatever he wanted, and he gets a two-film deal. Uh, and he gets he could do whatever he want, whatever film he wanted to do, um, he could make without any, nothing. So. Which is, uh, the, he directors would die for. Yes. But, <laughs> because this film didn't do very well, that's why you don't get that contract anymore. It's <laughs> uh, not fair that it didn't do well, right? No, it isn't. And I'm going I'm to get into that. So, uh, he, uh, yeah, he got this insane contract. Uh, and he originally, like, it, it didn't start off. Uh, it didn't just start off. That I'm gonna tell this story about this uh, newspaper magnet. It went through a, a whole bunch of different uh, ideas. Originally, it was actually gonna be a uh, bio like a biography about Howard Hughes, but weirdly enough, he didn't want to do that because he thought Howard Hughes's life was too crazy <laughs> to make a movie about. Who's it. Howard Hughes? Howard Hughes was the airplane uh, magnate, the man who. Uh, uh, Oh, fuck. the he one was, isn't that one of the Leo's? Yeah, the Aviator. Off? Well, it kind of was. His maybe story he was crazy, and yeah, he thought like people weren't gonna believe anything that he put into the film. Yeah, he wasn't. He was pissing in jaws, everybody. <laughs> I think it. No, I don't think at that point. But uh, oh, hadn't gone, so then the movie we got was even better. <laughs> his full <laughs> life. It would have. Well, not his full life. His life up to that point. Yeah, pissing <laughs> in jazz. Um, but. And it was actually going to star uh, the guy who plays his best friend in the film, Jebediah Leland. Um, so after that, he's like, well, he went to his, uh, his friend, his screenwriter friend, uh, named Herman Mankiewicz, who was going to these lavish parties at the real-life newspaper magnate's rag, uh, magnate, uh, William Randolph Hearst's mm. castle. Um, he fucked over America a lot. Basically, he was also kind of a robber baron in his own way. Mm -hmm. uh, he had his own monopoly on uh, basically all of newspapers, all of media. He controlled a lot of news, um, pushed a lot of fake news. Yes, <laughs> the original fake news era. Uh, Mer Mankiewicz was going to these parties, and he was hearing all these crazy stories about uh, Hearst. Um, some that might not be true, uh, and some that definitely might be true, because he's a uh, he was a crazy person who was also obsessed with power, and so going uh, to these parties, Mankiewicz kind of got the idea of kind of using his story as kind of a jumping-off point to tell their uh, their story about the a fictional magnate who was kind of like him. 
Uh, and they uh, they also used uh, inspiration from other uh, kind of tycoons at the time. Yeah, it was the era of that. I mean, we're now in the new modern era of that with the Jeff mm-hmm. Bezoses and the Zuckerbergs, and hopefully mm-hmm. we can do what, what they did, eventually did to those people and bust them up. Hopefully, one day. But, <laughs> I mean... <sighs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, Herman Mankiewicz and Orson Welles, there's a lot of debate on who contributed the most to the screenplay. Uh, there was actually a movie recently that uh, was made uh, as a Netflix film uh, called Mank, which is from the perspective of Herman Mankiewicz. <laughs> uh, and it kind of shows that he's the one who uh, contributed most of the screenplay. And Orson Welles was just kind of telling him, oh, you got to finish the screenplay. But uh, Orson Welles still gets a screenwa- uh, screenwriting credit, so... He probably yeah. did. Some, there's no way he did it with yeah. his personality. He didn't put have there any. Were, yeah, input there were on a it. lot of like different changes that happened. And over nonetheless, the he was still the main actor. <laughs> yeah, he was and the director. Yes, he was the director of the film, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Because again, he didn't. He just, he didn't know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, invented basically all of the techniques. That are all uh, that we take for granted now that are used in film. He basically invented the modern tenets of film language. It's kind of crazy. All because he's just like, well, I didn't know what else to do. I just approached it as. Uh, to make it look good. Yeah. And he, he had a blank check, so he was like, let's go. Let's do it. And um, he was like, no. <laughs> and so when this film came out, when it was finally finished, uh, William Randolph Hearst got wind that he was sort of used as an inspiration mm-hmm. for the film. And uh, there was also another uh, thing that his uh, his wife at the time was also being represented in the film. Or not his wife, his mistress, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was also being represented in the film by the... Uh, by Kane's second wife. Yeah, the young, the young bimbo. <laughs> yeah. And so he uh, took it upon himself to tell all of the newspapers that he owned to not review the film, to not put out any ads for it, to not uh, advertise it on radio. So basically just killing advertisement for this film altogether so no one would see yeah. it or know about it. Um, But yet... Some other newspapers that weren't owned by him were still able to kind of uh, rep- uh, advertise it, review it. Uh, it was you got radio. It did get some radio ads, not a lot. Probably anyone who was like a rival to Hearst that's so like a fuck you, Hearst. Yeah, and he actually tried to buy a copy or not a copy, the actual like print. film, the print itself, uh, so he could burn it. So no one could see it. But even the studio was like, uh, no. But yeah, uh, there was a test screening, and uh, people just, like, they loved it. They were like, ah, we can't do it. <laughs> we got to try to make some money back. Um, yeah, it was like, yeah, they put so much money in for the time, I guess. Um, it's pretty, yeah, I guess it went over budget. <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot to say about this movie. This movie's a big, like, it just has a huge history to it yeah because it made history in cinema exactly so yeah william randolph Hearst basically kind of like killed this movie in its time 
and it's the reason why it flopped. Um, and also, Pearl Harbor happened just a few months later. Yeah, we so it kind of feels like people just got forgot about it. They forgot about everything before that. Mm-hmm. And it, it only got it got war. a super. It just got a super limited release too, uh, because of the hubbub with Hearst. Yeah, probably a lot of movie theaters scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people were scared. Yeah, he was that kind of tycoon. That was that era, that he could just like buy you and end you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what Orson Welles had to deal with. Um, and he, d- yeah, he lived a pretty uh, interesting life. Um, he, he does, never, he, he never did got not age well. Unfortunately, not. He never got to make uh, the movies. Uh, he never got to make movies the way he got to make Citizen Kane with, or the the way he got to make Citizen Kane. Imagine uh, if it had been popular, what he could have done with his career. It would have been uh, pretty great for him. Because it would have been the standard for studios to give him like, whatever. To, <laughs> wouldn't have had to end his career doing the voice of a Transformer in the Transformers animated film from the 80s. <laughs> yep, that, was that was his last role. That was the last thing he ever did. Yep. And you could hardly recognize his voice. He was all drunk. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, he had no idea what he was doing, he said. Uh, he said, I was like, uh, he did... For some reason, he did an interview because he had a big ego. <laughs> he always did interviews. Of course. Um, and he's like, I guess I'm voicing a toy. Is, it kills other toys. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's like, that's not what it is. It kills other toys. But I've seen uh, some of Orson Welles' other films, and uh, we might watch some of them because I actually, I actually kind of like them. He was an interesting filmmaker. He continued to kind of push the limits of what you could as do much in his as he time. Could. Yeah. Uh his second film after this is a com is pretty compromised though. <laughs> I I feel like it's almost incomplete. Mm. But we'll uh, we might watch it one day cuz I still think it's an interesting movie. Wow. Uh do we even have time to go into the rest of the cast? I'm really Sad about that. Yes, we can. Uh, we got to hit when we can hit the keep. We still got some time, bro. Um, okay. There's uh, Joseph Cotton, who plays Jebediah Leland, uh, Kane's best friend, estranged best friend. Yeah. Um, One he, of the worst makeups I've ever seen in my life. I don't agree with you. Just looks like they put a like a gray wig on his head, a uh, fake mustache, no. and a robe, and they're like, hey, he's old now. I don't know. I think I think it's pretty decent old man makeup for the time. The makeup in this movie, I other think it than almost kind of looks better than Kane's makeup. Uh, no, or Wells' no, makeup. <laughs> no, I was just about to say the only makeup that looked good in this movie was Orson Welles. Everyone else is garbage. <laughs> His wife, when she's old, she looks like she's melting. His second wife. His second wife looks like she's well. It's because melting. she's an alcoholic. She at that. looks like and what the first wife looked like when she died. <laughs> she's not taking care Melted. of herself at that point. She's melting. Okay. Yeah, because it was, it just, she looked like a hideous monster. And it was horrible. That's the point, and the lighting is makes it and the worse. The black and white is is terrible. Okay, fine, fine. To each his own. <laughs> to each his own. But uh, I really like Joseph Cotton in this film, though. Yeah, <laughs> nothing against his acting or the character. Just I thought that. Whenever he was old man, I was just like, 
And he's a uh, he's this eyes. was his uh, first film. Everybody like this was everybody's like first movie basically, which is pretty crazy. Um, his yeah, the entire uh, cast is all from Keynes's theater troupe, the Mercury Theater. But one reason you probably know they're not inexperienced actors. First of all, they're very good. They're for working the time. with people they already work with all the time. Yeah, and well, they're working yeah. under their already director. He's just now doing a movie version. And it's like they get more like rehearsal time, basically. Yeah, they probably got better pay. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, and Joseph Cotton went on to a pretty successful career after this. Uh, he went off. Orson yeah. Welles, like you fucker. <laughs> well, he actually starred in another movie with Orson Welles at the end of the 1940s. Another famous movie called The Third Man, which is. Pretty good movie, actually. Uh, we might watch it one day. <laughs> uh, Future podcast. Yes. Uh, so yeah, he's he's just really good. I like his kind of arc in this movie of also kind of starting off as an idealistic yeah, man. Yeah, he looks up to Kane. Yeah, he's he's a uh, Kane's like college friend. Yeah, and he believes everything Kane says. Mm-hmm. They had the same sort of principles and idea and ideals. And he's like, Kane actually has the money and power to do it. Yes. Or make the change. But as the years go on, he becomes a little bit more cynical. He's already kind of cynical. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there is so Some much corruption. Um, and, he, yeah, he starts drinking more. And, Kane, you know, but Kane's running for governor. And that's uh, when he starts getting happy again. And then when that halt, when that just collapses to the ground, he uh, he goes into uh, the office and he's dr- gives like this drunken speech or just goes off on Kane basically and says like you know you're telling everybody that you're for the people and all this but it's all it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he basically he took a copy of or no he didn't take a copy of it he took the actual. Declaration of Principles that Kane wrote when they first uh, formed the Inquirer, and he tore it up, and he sent it. Yeah, he sent it. Sent it to him in pieces, and then uh, you turn your back on everything. His wife uh, asks him, uh, "What is it? What is it?" And he's like, "An antique." Yeah, because he's like, yeah, he gave it all up for her. Yep, and that's one reason also why when she leaves him, he's just like fucking destroyed by it. Yeah. Because he's like, no, I've done everything in his mind for her, mm-hmm. except for the one thing, which is actually love her. Yeah. Without conditions. He's, yeah, he seems to be the one who almost uh, kind of like knows Charlie better than Charlie knows himself. Mm-hmm. That's usually what friends are for. Oh. Oh. All right. Well, then there's, uh, uh let's see. I guess his second wife, we've talked about her a She's lot. She's like the big one, the next biggest. Uh her uh, the actress who plays her is uh Dorothy Cummingor. Uh and at okay. first when, when I first watched this movie, I actually didn't really like her performance that much. Because uh, it's just like, she's like really shrill. She's like the blonde lady from uh, Singing in the Yeah, Rain. she yeah, she's kind of yeah, she's supposed not to be not as bad. Like I guess like they're I could sort of see why Hearst would be upset. Like this, like that's how you're representing my wife <laughs> or my mistress. Uh, fuck you. Destroy your film. 
<laughs> I mean, like, mostly it's like, you're just outing me for having a mistress, you piece of shit. <laughs> Breaking the bro code. There's also uh, a weird rumor that has been propagated for many years. I think it's been disproven or is still, like, debated. Yeah. Um, that uh, <laughs> the name Rosebud, uh, or the word or whatever, comes from Hearst's nickname for... M- his mistresses, whose name was uh, Marion Davies, her <laughs> clitoris. Which it could totally be. Maybe. Maybe. It would be pretty crazy. Uh, but it's also rumored that it could have been uh, the name of uh, Herman Mankiewicz's bike or something. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Uh, no one will ever know. We may never know. We probably won't ever know. It always just debated to the end of time. Yay, the internet. Uh, <laughs> but as I watched this movie over the years, I've watched this is probably my fourth time watching it. Uh she's grown on me and I can kind of get what's going on uh what's what her character is and I feel sad for her uh towards the end. Yeah, cuz she loses her entire youth to him. Mhm. Wasted like because they're together for a while. Yeah, she opens up her own club. And on she the just money becomes, that she gets from the settlement. And she just becomes a, a drunk, just Runs sad old lady. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just like he, he ruined her as he ruined so many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just, yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's part of the, the tragedy of this film. Uh, but, she, yeah. Oh, yeah, she's grown over me. I, can't, I guess I can't really s- say much else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about her so much. Um, well, Lee, I think it's questions. Oh, questions time. Questions? Questions. Wait, questions? Questions for Lee. What questions? Lee, when was the first time you saw this movie? I'm curious to know, like, how old was Lee when he saw this well, film? Well, this, uh, might surprise you. Um, this was not a movie I watched during that sweet spot I usually <laughs> kind of talk about where I just watched bunch of different movies when I was like 12 to like 15 yeah the bulk. Uh, yeah uh no this was a film I actually kind of watched a little recently maybe like around five or six years ago that's pretty crazy uh yeah um because the way you because you said you watched this movie like four times and I was like oh he must have watched it like over his life four times like nope he watched it f- this movie Four times in like a few years. Like, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> a little sneak peek to my opinion. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I get it. Not you know, there's a lot of people who aren't fans of this movie. Yeah, I don't get the hype. Quentin Tarantino's. I don't think is a fan of this. I film. like I like the acting, but I don't think anything's crazy. I don't think the story is that crazy. I think it's really boring. <laughs> I think that's it's usually long. people's. Uh, uh, problem with it there's even a scene <laughs> yeah like a uh, little uh, sidetrack there's a scene later in this film like where they uh, they flash back uh it's right at the point where uh his second wife is leaving him and during the transition to this flashback there's a a parrot or something that just goes Aah! and it's like shrieking and, and it's going, like ah! kind of a jump scare and you're like what what was that? And then the scene just goes on, and you don't see a bird or anything after that. And you're like, what? What? And the explanation. Mind boggling. 
The explanation for this, at least from what uh, Orson Welles has said, <laughs> is that he just wanted to wake the audience up. The movie's pretty long, so people might get a little sleepy. <laughs> so let's uh, wake let's them up. Scream. Let's not make a scene loud or something happen in the movie. Have an loud. explosion or something. Just I, have a thing a <laughs> scream and it does scare you. You're like, oh shit, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's uh, hilarious because uh, he was being interviewed by uh, this director who was just like, oh my god, who was like, thought like Citizen Kane was like the greatest thing. Um, and he asked him like a couple of times, like, no, really, like, but why? Why is there that shrieking bird? I I was I I had to wake him up. I'm sorry. And he's like, there's no secret meaning. There's no meaning behind it. It's one of the only things where it's like, I, that's literally just what that is. Just wake him up, and it does wake you up because in the beginning of the movie, I was. Yeah, you were a couple of times. <laughs> Lee got real upset. A little bit. Oh, like Lee has to fall asleep into my movies. Once. Okay, once. And you woke me up, and I haven't done it ever since. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know, this movie was sleepy. <laughs> well, good. Orson Welles is making that scene just for you. Well, Lee, another question. Yeah? What was your favorite part, aspect, character of this movie? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever There's a think. lot of things that I really like about this film. Uh, my favorite scene would have to be the um, the scene between him and his uh, first wife. Yeah. The montage, it's great. And then my my favorite aspects all pretty much have to do with like the technical aspects of this movie because all the breakthroughs so, and all the different yeah camera the, angles his uh, you know this movie was one of the first movies to utilize three dimensional space on film where you could have I'm about to get really like movie nerd technical <laughs> here you could have an object in the foreground uh, and also have an object in the background perfectly in focus. You could have all of it perfectly in focus. That's kind of hard to do. Um, At least it was at the time. Now you could easily do a shot like that. Yeah. Um, It's pretty easy. But this was, yeah, this was uh, one of the groundbreaking aspects. I really like the, even though this movie's, you don't seem to really like black and white, no. <laughs> Occasionally. Um but I think the this, the lighting in this film is pretty uh pretty interesting. It's very moody. Uh it's almost kind of like a f- what they called like a film noir, which was kind of a popular genre at the time. It was the old kind of detective movies. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I get that a bit, but um and this movie is a mystery, so it kind of has that aspect anyways. It's a mystery in the sense that what does Rosebud mean? Yeah. Finding out what it is is the twist in the end. Is a twist. Mm-hmm. One of the first movie twists. That the people in the movie don't get to find out, but the audience does, which is kind of inter- which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, since you like so much about this movie, what could, what is your biggest complaint? Well, uh, there are some scenes where, like, the editing. Is a little like it's this is an early forties movie. Okay, I can get that things are a little jumpy. It's actually probably more well edited than a lot of movies from that time. In fact, the editor of this film would go on to become a famous director in his own right. 
Oh, uh, Robert Wise, who would direct many classic films that I can't really go into right now because we're running out of time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's some well, some things in the editing where it's kind of like, uh Yeah, a little yeah. drunk. Especially that transition. But yeah. that was Orson Welles' decision, so... Can I it cr- makes sense, but it's like you could have done it in the movie. Like, in, in the movie. Could have like done the story. it better. <laughs> uh, well, well, it's not just that either. The other uh, criticism I have is that there's some points where the acting, I think, is a little... The choosing of the scenes... Right, there's a scene where, uh, like, Mr. Thatcher is, like, reading a letter from uh, Kane or something, where he's, like, uh, he's reading about, like, how he wants to open, he wants to own a newspaper company. And he's like, I think I want to own a newspaper company. And he looks right at the camera and he just does this, (laughs) like, this cartoonish, like, shrug. But then at the end of the film, during the end credits sequence, where they're showing, like, scenes from the film... They show an alternate take where it was so much better. Yeah, he's more serious. Yeah, he still looks at the camera, which I think is like, why? I don't think you should do that. But it's still like it was better. He didn't he's better acted. It wasn't cartoonish. Yeah, why'd you pick the? Yeah, why'd you pick the cartoonish? Was he trying to make a laugh come? Maybe I guess it wasn't funny. <laughs> Not for us. Maybe it was at the time. Maybe. Uh, and then there's that that other guy, the guy who previously owns the newspaper. Who's just yeah, he's just a random cartoon guy. He's that guy looks like st- just... like a straight up <laughs> cartoon character. He's got uh, bug eyes and glasses and overalls and thinning hair. It's like I feel like ugh. he's based off someone in Orson Welles' life. That Maybe he growing up. Maybe I'm sure there's yeah, there's a lot. He's of like things. no one would ever believe this person's a real person, but they are. I met him. People looked like that back then. All sweaty. <laughs> All sweaty and like, I wear overalls. <laughs> and had a hair that's <laughs> just partly coming down his face. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Lee, since you like this movie so much, I don't know how surprised we'll be, but what's the rating you're going to give this movie? I think, I think you might be. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I talk so much about this movie. Uh, I'm losing my voice. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, you might be a little surprised by my rating after, uh, wow, this might be our longest episode. It feels like it. With every, I mean, the most, the talk about episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this movie, uh, yeah, it's, another episode. The mo- it's probably one of the most talked about films ever made, um, even to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they recently just dug up a 80-year-old review. Just to knock it down. To knock it, off, like, 1% down off of Rotten Tomatoes. It originally had 100%. Now it only has 99%. Got them. And uh, the two movies, I think, that have 100 There's a bunch of movies, I think. But uh, the ones that are pretty... Uh, that come to my mind uh, are ha- Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, because that was the film that r- dethroned it in terms of like all the critics saying what the great like agreeing on what the greatest movie of all time is. Mm-hmm. Vertigo is a really good film. Um we'll watch that one day. I think I probably like that movie better than this. Hmm. Um and then the other movie that I have to say that has 100% 
on Rotten Tomatoes is Paddington 2. <laughs> Which is crazy to think about. Everybody really loved that movie. I've never seen the first one. There's not someone who just shit. I guess they would remove any shit post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just critics, I think. Audiences, it might be yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, the, the audience is waiting. What's your rating of this movie? Well, I was about to get to that, you no, foolish I man. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, it might be surprising, but I'm gonna give this movie an eight out of ten. I was, I was, I wasn't expecting anything lower. I was like, I wasn't, and I wasn't expecting a ten. I wasn't getting that feel from you, but I was expecting a nine. Yeah. Um. I don't. Yeah. I just think uh, this is just a really solid movie. It's. In terms of like what it did for cinema, it's, you know, if I were to give it more points for that, I would, but I'm just, I'm trying to look at it objectively, objectively. Yeah. because like going into this, it almost felt like, like when I was watching it for the first time, it felt like a challenge. Like, okay, this is the greatest movie me. of all time. That's what I'm finally glad. This is the biggest up thing from this podcast. And I've said it before. It's like, I'm watching a lot of movies I would have never watched. Yeah. And I'm glad I am doing it now. Yeah. Broadening your horizons. Yeah, slightly. I really am. But you're not going to be surprised by mine. Right. I can't rate it bad because it's Citizen Kane. And Orson Welles is that good in it. I <laughs> think that he, most of my points that I do give it go to him. Okay. I would give this movie a five. I, okay. I, uh, no lower because that's just an insult, I think, and this my own feelings getting to it. Okay. Well, my own feelings are definitely into it, but um, it's my rating. <laughs> yeah, but, you can rate it. You can rate it a one. Yeah, one but I that'd be insulting. I feel like if you go that low, because I don't hate this movie. Good. When it finished, I was just like, okay. <laughs> yep, that was. I've seen Citizen Kane. So, um, yeah. That's our ratings, everybody. Eight, an eight and a five. And that's a season two wrap. Oh, boy. Everybody, um, I'm going to pass it over to Lee again. Usually you're Ooh. used to me now introducing the next week's movie. But guess what time it is, everybody? Bad it's bad movie, movie intermission. Doobie-doobie-doobie-doop-boop. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I get to choose our bad movie intermission film this time. And I feel... I feel like we need to watch something that's Extra infamous. Bad. Because we watched a f we watched what was considered the greatest film of all time. But now I feel like maybe watching what some people have called the worst movie of all time. Uh, it has actually been called this. Um I want to watch <laughs> Garbage Pail Kids. Garbage Pail Kids from 1987, I think. A big leap. Uh, so we yeah we watched Total Recall last time, and I feel like go that listen to that episode. Yes, it's a good episode. But yes, that movie it was just that was a personal. We just thought yeah. thought it was going to be bad. It was just kind of like eh. it flopped and everything. But no one was like, ah, ah, but we were like, let's see it, and then no. we were right. It was terrible. So now let's watch something really terrible. <laughs> Who knows? I might like it because it's weird. But I feel like we're not. No. I Probably feel like we're going to be grossed out by it. 
Or we're just going to hate it. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, this is a pointless piece just of throw garbage. throw shit at your TV. <laughs> no. Shut <laughs> <laughs> my TV. God, we're going to have to watch I'll it. I'll throw on, knives at you. We're going to watch Garbage Pail Kids on this really nice television screen. I know. Garbage Pail Kids on a, like, a big old screen. Like, right, uh, <laughs> right after Citizen Kane. <laughs> might as well watch fucking it on our phones. <laughs> yeah. In 144. Oh, well, that's going to be uh, next week's film, everybody. Yeah, so we hope you look forward to that. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, we encourage you to listen to every movie or go watch the movie uh, before every podcast. Um, it just kind of, and then just it'll help you kind of follow along with us in the podcast. Uh, but yeah, we hope you have a great week. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode, and we hope you look forward to garbage next week. <laughs> it's not the best movie ever. No. 